0: Today's Gospel lesson is from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come, keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Our salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do with the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do not say four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Sally, for
1: reading that wonderful and very long conversation. <laughs> Do you know that's the longest conversation recorded in the, in the Gospels? And you got to read it. <laughs> I am so grateful that I was raised in a church that allowed me to be a child and put up with my childish ways. I'm so glad for mothers and fathers in the faith who taught me the good news of Jesus and what it is to follow Jesus. I'm so thankful that those congregations, the Hillsdale Methodist Church and the Grace United Methodist Church in Wyckoff showed me living examples of faithful adults. And I gleaned from just watching them that there was something about following Jesus that brought joy. There was something about following Jesus that brought hope. There was something about following Jesus that no matter what was going on in the world, these older mothers and fathers in the faith showed me that they could stand straight and still love and still care and still be compassionate to all people. I've also learned from mentors in the faith that sometimes following Jesus puts us at odds with the world. Puts us out of sync with the culture and out of sync with other people. And at first glance, it looks like it is really difficult to follow Jesus. For to follow Jesus is to aspire to Value what and whom Jesus values. To follow Jesus is to to love like Christ loves, to serve like Christ serves, to care for people like Christ cares for people. To follow Christ is to take risks like Christ took risks. To follow Christ is to forgive like Christ forgave and and then to forgive again and again and again. To follow Jesus is to trust like Jesus trusted, that no matter what happens, God is there. And God keeps bringing new life out of death and new hope out of brokenness, new love out of relationships that have been wounded. We do this imperfectly, at least I can... I can say, I follow Jesus imperfectly in fits and starts with great failures and then start again. Every day is a new day to try and follow Jesus again and to do this trusting in the grace of God because I don't know if there is a perfect way to follow Jesus. God only draws in crooked lines. We tack, we try again, we correct, we try again. To follow Christ is to look with the eyes of Christ, which really in this particular story is quite profound. Because Jesus sees this woman at the well as a person of sacred worth. The whole world did not see her as a person of sacred worth. First, she was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. The Jews thought Samaritans were somehow impure, somehow less than they were. And they had no respect for the Samaritans. Jesus saw this Samaritan as a person of sacred worth. Women in Jesus' day were not respected, were seen as, were not seen. They were not seen. But Jesus sees her as a person of sacred worth. She's coming to the well at 12 noon. If there's a pecking order in who gets to take water out of the well, guess who is lowest On the totem pole, who gets the 12 o'clock noon slot? You don't want to be collecting water in the heat of the day. It is not an optimum time to go to the well and it is no wonder that she is there all by herself. Most of the socializing that happened around the well was in the morning, the sun was low, people could socialize, people could gossip, people could be with one another. People had communion with one another. They found out what was going on in the town at the well in the morning. Nobody's finding that out at 12 noon. She's there at 12 noon. You couldn't pick a more marginalized time to get water at Jacob's well. And Jesus sees in her at the 12 o'clock slot a person of sacred worth. They have this wonderful conversation where Jesus says, I know you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. And she says, how did you know that? You must be a prophet. Peggy, isn't that interesting? We've had this conversation about a prophet. Prophet can mean so many different things. She's understanding it as someone who sees something that nobody else sees. And Jesus sees it. Now, I always, I, growing up, I don't know if it was the sermons I heard or the people who taught me the, the story. I always thought that this person had done something so bad that we probably couldn't talk about it in Sunday school. And, and when I was a teenager, I think I probably thought there must have been something sexually immoral about what was going on in this story because no one wanted to talk about it. I have since learned that this woman most likely was divorced or widowed through no fault of her own. This is why Jesus speaks so clearly against divorce because men were abusive of the law at that time and of the women they were married to. If they wanted a divorce, they just for no reason at all said, I'm done. And they left the woman who had no ability to get a job or make money. Men could just walk away from marriages in Jesus' day. And Jesus said, that's wrong. Men, what you're doing to these women is wrong. If a man did this to the woman at the well, just walked away, it is not her fault. If she is a widow, it is not her fault. But for whatever reason, she was vulnerable. She was lonely. She was abandoned. She was written off. She was discarded devalued, alone, and Jesus saw in her a person of sacred worth. Followers of Jesus, these are the eyes that we're invited to look with, to see all people, no matter what is going on in their lives, as people of sacred worth. He also saw her as a teacher, as a witness, as perhaps the first evangelist. They talked about this water. And he says, I have water to give you that will spring forth like an artesian well within you and lead you to eternal life. And she says, sir, I want that water. Do you hear the spiritual hunger, the spiritual thirst that she is modeling for us? This is the spiritual thirst that God has placed in every one of us, but she gets it. She gets in touch with that thirst and longs for it. It's a holy longing. That's perhaps our task in the spiritual life, is to get in touch with the holy longing, the holy thirst that only the living waters of Christ can fulfill and satisfy and quench. She goes tells the townsfolk what she has experienced with this man at the well, this Jesus of Nazareth, and they come back and hear for themselves. She's blessed to be a blessing, a conduit of God who brings other people to Jesus, and they hear from him this life-giving word. So on Monday this week, I got some good news. One of my friends and mentors in the spiritual life, Richard Rohr, has accepted our invitation to come to Chatham United Methodist Church on the 25th of May, 7 o'clock in the evening. He's going to be right here. We're going to have to turn people away at 500. This sanctuary will be filled. We'll have to set up chairs on the side. Richard has recently written this book, The Divine Dance, The Trinity and Your Transformation. And on the back, there's, on the, on the cover, there's some endorsements. Here's one from Bono of U2. Finding the sweet spot where contemporary science meets, meets ancient mysticism and theology meets poetry. The Divine Dance sketches a beautiful choreography for a life well lived. In our joy or in our pain, true life is always relational, a flow, a dance. Rob Bell writes, this is Richard in peak form, doing what he does best, showing how the best ideas for the future have actually been here in the Jesus tradition the whole time. Nadia boltz Weber, James Martin, Simone Campbell, Shane Claiborne, Brian McLaren, who I'm going to see this afternoon in Ridgewood. If any of you want to come with me, we'll meet at 1.30, we'll drive up to hear Brian McLaren speak at a church in Ridgewood. He writes, this beautifully written book can do far more than change your troubled thoughts about God. It can change your way of thinking about God entirely. Richard is very articulate about the Trinity being a dance. Not players in a dance, the dance itself. And we're invited into this relationship. I read something in this recently that has caught my attention. Probably because I'm so aware of so much hurt in our world, so much hurt in our relationships. He writes this. I once met a psychiatrist who made a statement to me that I thought at first was an overstatement. He's older than I am and he said, Richard at the end of your life you'll realize that every mentally ill person you've ever worked with is basically lonely. Oh come on that's a little glib isn't it? I replied. I admit there are probably physical reasons for some mental illness, but loneliness is what activates it, is what the psychiatrist said to Richard. Loneliness is what activates mental illness. Richard writes, I've run this theory by several psychiatrist friends. After they get over their initial stunned objection, oh come on, that's too simple, they agree. Every case of non-physiologically based mental illness stems from a person who has been separated, cut off, living alone, forgetting how to relate. This person does not know intimacy and is starved for communion. That's probably why God created the sexual drive so strong in most of us. It's an instinct that demands relationship in its healthy manifestation, because when you separate yourself from others, you become sick, toxic, and I'm going to say even evil. I think we're back again to this mystery of Trinity. Now we're prepared to say that God is absolute relatedness. I would name salvation as simply the readiness, the capacity, and the willingness to stay in relationship. Do you know that the only time salvation is used in the gospel of John is in this text? And it's salvation because she has been restored to relationship. Have you ever heard of salvation defined as that? Being restored to relationship. This is what Jesus offers. This is what Jesus brings. This is Jesus' hope for all churches to be a place where relationship can be restored, where people can be in community with one another, where lonely people can come and be known. You know our society says we want to be well-known. What we really need is to be known well. Our church in Chatham experiences so many wonderful opportunities where people can be known well, where they can share their stories, their lives, their hopes, their dreams, their struggles. And when that happens, God is in our midst, knitting us together, creating community that sees all people as people of sacred, worth. May God bless us in this wonderful call to follow Christ together and create sacred community. Amen.